Welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast, your channel for the latest alumni stories in Boston and beyond. In this show, we'll catch up with Northeastern alumni who are out there achieving what's next. the last great race on earth, the Iditarod is a 1,000-mile sled dog race in Alaska. We may have seen it in the movies, but alumna Sarah Stokey will give us an inside look of what it is like to finish the 2019 Iditarod. And if you listen closely, you might hear some of her dogs in the background. Hi, Sarah. First of all, congratulations. I am so excited to be speaking to a 2019 finisher of the Iditarod. And before we dive into the details of that experience, I'm curious to hear about your Northeastern background first and how you ended up in Alaska. So I actually transferred into Northeastern my sophomore year in college. I really wanted to be in kind of the Boston area. And when I toured the campus there, I just kind of fell in love. I was really excited, you know, when I, you know, first showed up to school in the beginning. My entire experience at Northeastern was absolutely amazing. You know, I got really involved in the outdoors club there, Newhawk, the Northeastern mm-hmm. University Huskiers Outing Club. And that really shaped a lot of my my time at Northeastern. So a lot of my friends, you know, were, were a big part of that club. And, and so was I. And that really helped kind of propel my, I guess, life as a outdoors woman. Yeah. And you're from Cape Cod originally? Yes, I am from the Cape originally. I grew up in the town of Falmouth. So when you graduated in 2010, what inspired you to move out to Alaska (laughs) so far away? (laughs) You know, so I had always really been passionate about dog mushing, and it was always something that had intrigued me from kind of a young age. I saw a movie one day when I was actually homesick called Iron Will, and that really sparked a passion in me for wanting to go dog sledding um, and be a musher. So I read kind of all the literature I could on it. And in the fourth grade, my aunt actually took me on a dog sledding trip out in Maine with a company up there. And we went out for, you know, the weekend with this, this company. And when I was actually uh, at Northeastern, I spent some weekends going back up to this kennel and volunteering my time and playing with the dogs. So moving out to Alaska in 2010 just just seemed like the natural progression for me it it, you know was something I always kind of envisioned myself doing that's so exciting I think I first saw your story in the Boston Globe that covered you finishing the Iditarod and it was actually my mother who sent it to me she says oh it's a Northeastern graduate and I'll give her a shout out because she was a teacher and she used to teach the Iditarod here in Massachusetts to third oh awesome and she would follow the the racers and she would like do the checkpoints and do that education so I grew up even watching all the movies and reading the books and being so fascinated by it so let's let's start with the race itself for someone who knows nothing about the Iditarod can you explain it So the Iditarod is a 1,000-mile-long dog sled race that runs across the state of Alaska. It's held every year in March, uh, and it's an event that, you know, we as as mushers and our dogs, we work towards that event all year long. 
we kind of like to call it the Alaskan Super Bowl because <laughs> it's, you know, it's our big sporting event here in the state. So it's an amazing experience being out there on the trail with the dogs. Um, the race itself, you know, we're going through a lot of country that, you know, really isn't very uh, well populated. So we do travel through a lot of bush villages. Um, these are our checkpoints. Uh, so areas where we can resupply with dog food and supplies for ourselves. But we're really traveling through the heart of Alaska. There's no roads out there. We're, we're, we're just on the trail. We travel um, both during the day and at night. Um, actually, as mushers, we generally prefer to, to run at night because it's often cooler for the dogs. Mm-hmm. So we get, you know, I have a very high-powered headlamp. It's almost like, you know, having a car headlight strapped to your, your, your head. It really lights up the trail. So we get really comfortable with kind of just being out more or less in the middle of nowhere with our dogs and, you know, having to have all those, the skills that that entails. And how, how long does it take to finish typically? So the top finishers usually come in right around nine days um, and the back of the pack anywhere between, um, you know, this year I think it was 15 or 16 days. So it is a, a very long, long race, you know, a thousand miles. So, yeah. And I, I think I read in the Globe article that you're really dependent on your dogs and if they're ready to, to race that day, right? Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you just always have to kind of read your dog team. You have to read the weather and the environment as well as the trail conditions. So there's a lot of little factors that come into play. It's not, you know, a a very cut and dry sport. There's all these little details and nuances that really kind of culminate for this experience um, for you and your dog team. So I always like to say, you know, I'm the musher, but you know, what is a musher? You know, the the musher is a coach where the, you know, I'm the team masseuse, you know, we spend a lot of time rubbing our dogs down. I'm the team nutritionist. I'm the the weatherman. You know, we, we, we do all these different roles um, as the leader of our team. Great. And I was going to ask you to summarize what you do. So beyond that role as a musher, I know that's not all you do and you have a kennel out in Alaska. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about what else you have going on out there. Yeah, so my partner and I, um, you know, Iditarod and owning a sled dog kennel isn't uh, exactly a cheap endeavor. Uh, we uh, we do uh, sled dog tours with, with our dogs. And ironically enough, people assume, you know, dog sledding, you do that in the winter for, for tours. Well, our tourism business is primarily based in the summer. So Alaska generally has a lot of people coming to visit. We live in the town of Seward, which is absolutely beautiful. We're on the edge of a national park and a national forest, and we just have all sorts of, you know, amazing natural beauty here. And we uh, do two different types of dog sled tours in the summer. One, we have people come into our kennel, and we have a custom-built cart that we hook the dogs up to, and we take people on kind of a wooded dog sled ride. And it's really like a training exercise. I love it because we're always kind of working to teach the dog, you know, the lead dogs new commands and we get to show that to our clients. 
you know, it's just really magical for, for us. And then we do another tour where we establish a remote camp up on a glacier where there's uh, snow year round and people actually get in a helicopter, fly up. And even in July and August, they get to, to go dog sledding on snow in the summer. So it's really cool. That's amazing. I need to get out there and come do that yeah. Sounds incredible. And so in the fall and then winter, are you then are you usually training for races and yes we do um you know we do some tours in the fall and in the winter but we're really focused on that time as well with just kind of working with the dogs um you know uh that that's kind of the time we sort of really try to to emphasize their training and the time that we need the the training for Iditarod it requires a huge time commitment so going a thousand miles it's not like you just wake up one day and run a thousand miles um you know just like humans training for a marathon takes months it's it's the same for our dogs but instead of running you know 10 miles a day we're we're working our dogs up to doing 50 and 60 uh, mile runs um, and then learning to do those back to back um, on about you know anywhere from four to six hours of rest there's a lot of training involved and you know a 50 mile dog run is, is, you know, if you're going five, uh, 10 miles an hour, that's, that's five hours. Well, you know, our dogs generally travel uh, about nine uh, miles an hour. So, so we're, we're out there for, for quite a bit of time. And then yeah. there's the, the preparing them for the run. So we got to harness them and booty them. So we put little shoes on their feet to, to protect them as they go down the trail. And then, you know, there's a lot of care involved with feeding them and after the run rubbing them down you know just like human athletes have to stretch we have to help our dogs stretch and kind of cool down so it's a lot of fun but it's definitely a a very labor-intensive sport I can imagine and so I have to ask especially because you are a northeastern alumna are sled dogs all huskies what are the breeds that you're uh, yes. working with? <laughs> yeah, so so we use what we call an Alaskan Husky. My parents always joked that the reason I transferred to Northeastern was so I could say <laughs> I was a Husky. They always laugh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we use a, it, it's a breed uh, called the Alaskan Husky, and they are bred uh, really for endurance. So these are some of the best endurance athletes in the world. Um, they're just absolutely amazing what they're capable of I mean they they put us humans to shame (laughs) (laughs) and um how many dogs do you have so tell me about the turning heads kennel that's your kennel right yeah how many dogs you have at one time and you you raise them there too right Correct. So my, my partner and I, we, we kind of breed our own sled dogs for our racing and for our tours. We usually have um, about a litter of puppies each season. This year, I think we're going to have two litters, so a few more dogs. We just have a lot of dogs who are sort of nearing retirement age, which is always kind of tough. <laughs> so uh, at, at this time, we have about 70 dogs. Um, so the way that works out is we have about 45 of those dogs are really core racing dogs. My partner also races Iditarod. So we both have a, a, a pool of about 24 dogs for our racing season. Um, Iditarod is kind of the big race that we compete in and that we you know, kind of focus on. But there are a number of two and 300 mile events that we also um, travel around the state and that we also compete in. So just like kind of a soccer team has a roster of 
more than you know the players out on the field so so do we so yeah we both train about 24 dogs over the course of the season and then we have another about 20 dogs who are um, either too young or too old right now so we have a you know a litter of puppies uh, who they're approaching a year now they've been been starting to run and they're training but they won't actually move into like our competitive program until they're about two Mm -hmm. and then uh, on the other end we have kind of our older dogs so um, we have a number of dogs who we've had for a while and now they're retired and Mm -hmm. some of those dogs we rehome to um, pet homes and we do a a wonderful program you know where we adopt they're they're just amazing dogs these these sled dogs they're they're um I always tell people they're kind of little hellions when they're, you know, uh, younger, you know, they are bred for, for running. So, you know, if you were to get an Alaskan Husky as a puppy and, you know, try to keep it in a house or an apartment, it would uh, not end well. But when they, they end, you know, when they approach the end of their racing career around, I'd say the average, you know, most dogs retire around about nine. Mm -hmm. Um, We do see dogs continue to race, you know, up until 11 or 12. But nine is kind of the, the the normal average age of retirement. Kind of at that age, they're they're just super chill. They are really fun and relaxed. They're really loyal breed. They they obviously will always have that passion for going on walks and hikes. Maybe they're uh, so, ready for a break at that. Yeah, point. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of ready for it. Every now and then, we also have you know. Um, quote unquote, black sheep who do retire out kind of younger, not for anything other than, you know, they don't seem to enjoy the mushing lifestyle. So. And I'd love to just hear about what are some of the mushing commands and positions that just some of those details, I think that a lot of people who are not familiar with the sport would be interested. Sure. You know, when, when Running a team of dogs, it's different than, you know, say, you know, being on a horse. We don't have reins. Everything we do is vocal. So the team is entirely vocally commanded. So the set of dogs that are responsible for interpreting our commands, those are the lead dogs, and they're the dogs way out in front. They run in front of everybody else. They're generally kind of your your smartest, your most athletic dogs. We look for kind of the, the three A's, we say, when we're trying to figure out who's going to be a lead dog. You know, aptitude, are they smart? Athleticism. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the third one. <laughs> Attitude, athleticism. Oh, I guess it's just the two A's. We look for the two A's, <laughs> attitude and athleticism. The third A is appetite, but we don't look for that. You know, we just look for that in all our dogs. Mm. We want them to have a good appetite so they can uh, fuel themselves <laughs> as they go down the trail. The mushing commands that we use, we have the command G, which means turn right. And then Ha is the command to go left. Those, those are kind of the main, I would say, the two most important commands that we use. And... One of the things that's really fun about this sport and that I don't think a lot of people understand is that training our lead dogs, all we're doing is we're channeling their love of running and mushing kind of in the right direction. So to teach the dogs how to turn right, when we come up to say a fork in the road and we want to go right, we, we tell the new lead dogs, gee, well, if they get it correctly, you know, we just keep going. Um, and if they get it wrong, we stop. You know, and because these dogs are so driven by their desire to run, 
they're going to go up there and they're going to say, well, there's, there's two forks and, and I'm trying to go this way and, and they're stopped. So, so they're going to use that brain of theirs and they're going to try the other way. Mm-hmm. And then when they, they do get that correct, we're going to kind of reinforce that, you know, and say, gee, gee, gee. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun working with them. We also, you know, our older dogs, uh, once they do retire from the competitive racing environment, you know, our older leaders are really the best at training our, you know, future leaders, just like how, you know, offices and, mm-hmm. you know, workplaces uh, employ interns, you know, to kind of teach them the ropes before, you know, they get set loose, you know, in the real world, like the co-op program. It's, yeah, it's you a know? great model it's, of leadership training, really. It's, and dogs. Yeah, it's, amazing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really kind of like the same thing with with our dogs, you know, we kind of pair the younger dog, you know, a younger dog up with an older dog to to kind of mentor them. Mm-hmm. I love that. We're always talking about mentorship programs in our office, and it's great to hear real huskies, not just human huskies, can yeah. participate in that. <laughs> and I mean, you have such a unique and entrepreneurial career path. I mean, I think it came from this love of the outdoors, and then you have your kennel and your tours. What, what advice would you give someone who's just itching to start something like this and follow such a passion? I will say, you know, my partner and I, we took kind of a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And at times it was really hard. And at times it was, you know, it was at times it was even beyond difficult. But you work through it little by little and you find a way to kind of be successful and to make your passion work for you we always joke that, you know, we're, we're so lucky because, you know, here we are doing every day what we love and getting to share it with people. And I I think that's a a real privilege. And I, I hope more people are able to do that. Because when you are living your life, and your life is providing uh, an income for you to to pursue your passions, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't, of, of course, there's always elements that are work and that are tough, you know, for us, those hard times, the dogs are always there and they're, they're our biggest cheerleaders. It's yeah. fun. You know, whenever you have a bad day, doesn't matter what brought the bad day on, you go out into the dog yard and I, I always like, I feel like a rock star, you know, walking <laughs> out onto the stage before, you know, the show, they're all like, woohoo, mom's here. Like, it's super fun. You know, it's kind of like uh, when you come home to, to your dog, how excited that one dog is. Well, multiply that by 70, <laughs> add a little like group mentality to it. You know, it's, it's fun. That's amazing. You know? And this is called the Northeastern Next Podcast. So my favorite question to ask is, what's next for you? Do you have any races coming up? Anything on the horizon? Uh, well, ideally, I'll get to run Iditarod again. <laughs> it's a really expensive endeavor. So I'm not sure if it'll be next year or not. But, you know, we're gearing up right now to start our summer tour season again and playing it, you know, every, every day, working with the dogs you know, what I'm literally doing next is going outside and, 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 and playing with the dogs next. And, <laughs> and, you know, beyond that, we're just kind of working towards the next goal, whether it's running Iditarod or a two or 300 mile event. That's, that's what we're, we're aiming for. Well, that's great. And I have one final bonus question for you. And that is, what's your favorite Northeastern memory? Thinking back. Oh, what's my favorite Northeastern memory? Oh, gosh, I have so many, but a lot of them are really tied to the 
outing club. We had a, you know, the outing club has a really special place up, up in New Hampshire that um, the, the students can go and spend the weekend at. And I just have so many awesome memories with my friends there. And it, it, it really, I think about those times all the time. And then, you know, honestly, I, I miss like the little things about the school, like, you know, just hanging out on campus, walking through, being so close to everything. I definitely am not a city person, obviously. <laughs> I live in Alaska with 70 dogs, but I, uh, I really enjoyed going to school there and feeling like I had this little nook in the, the big city. Mm-hmm. That's so. amazing. I think I'm sure that outdoor club was really inspiring to you and it definitely primed your passion for this lifestyle and yeah I think it's really inspiring again congratulations on your finish I am so excited that I get to share your story with our listeners and a very unique career path and we all grew up watching Balto and Snow Dogs and all those (laughs) movies that there were surprisingly many around this Iditarod that we don't hear much about other if we're not familiar with the sport but Thank you so much for your time. Um, I think that's all we have for today. But Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure sharing what we do. Thank you so much, and we'll be in touch. <laughs> all right, thanks. Thanks for listening. Follow the Turning Heads Kennel on Instagram for plenty of husky pictures, and visit Sarah's website, turningheadskennel.com. This is Megan Kirkbrisson from Alumni Relations. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. See you next time.